Welcome to this week's edition of Horror Bites, Safe Room's Indie Horror Showcase segment. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. Well, you guys are probably slightly confused by a new episode being available today, of all days. No, we haven't prematurely pressed publish on next week's episode, as we've decided to make Horror Bites, our Indie Horror Showcase feature, a weekly episode. You can still expect a new Safe Room episode every Monday, but with the added bonus of a new Horror Bites episode releasing every Thursday. Horror Bites will now split its time between our standard format of Neil and I bringing several bite-sized indie horror titles to the table to discuss, and new developer interviews such as this week's sit-down we had with the fine folks behind Ted and Dead Doves, an upcoming horror adventure game. We chatted with lead developer Mark Byram II, lead modeler Sean Michael Millard, and composer Daniel Millard about their game's influences, how they go about nailing the game's unique charm and brand of humor, as well as a few anecdotes about their development process along the way. Be sure to check out the team's Kickstarter, as Neil and I have done, as we were incredibly impressed with the demo we covered for Horror Bites last year. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy our new interview with Duonyx Studios. And joining us to give more insight into the inspirations, their design process, and what is the source of uh, 10 Dead Dove's signature brand of blending humor and horror is lead developer Mark Byram II. That would be me. Hello. We're also joined by lead modeler Sean Michael Millard. Hey, how's it going? That's Sean. I'm Sean. Yeah. And composer Daniel Millard. Hello, hello. Guys, we are so excited to have you today to chat about a demo that we played earlier in the year that uh, we could not shut up about because it really did leave a, a distinct impression with us. So we're so thrilled to have you here. Thanks for having us. It, yeah, thanks for having us. It is kind of crazy how that all went down. Um, oh, yeah. Because we kind of just like had no... It was kind of in the ether developing like the game and then we released this demo and to actually have feedback... Beyond playtesting, it's kind of weird, but I'm glad that it seems to at least be captivating a little bit of people's hearts. Certainly enough, I'd say, you know, given how the Kickstarter's going, I'd say you've got a fair few people interested. Oh, that was, I I went, I was going insane from that. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> the dude was a bundle of nerves for like... Four days. Four days, more like two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I think uh, Neil and I have man. covered enough, uh, not only demos, but these bite-sized slices of horror that pop up on Itch.io and things like that. And sometimes it's something that we've really enjoyed, but then you look down in the comments and there's like no feedback or anything like that. And it's just like sometimes pretty heartbreaking. So when we actually find a project that is getting what we feel, and I'm sure you guys do as well, um, is getting the sort of not only feedback in terms of like, oh, this is an experience we enjoyed or whatnot. But then once you enter this new realm of like the finance side of it before the game's released, I mean, uh, that must be overwhelming. I can't even imagine how that feels. Yeah, it's like a totally different world because we had no idea what to expect at all. And then demo released the same thing, but even especially like the Kickstarter, we're like sitting here like... 30 minutes before we're launching, we're like, we have no idea what trajectory, like, mm. like the future, I, we have no idea if we're going to bomb immediately or we'll do all right. Or there's like a thousand different futures laid out in front of us in, the, in like a single second. <laughs> and we were all, well, we were, I was probably the terrified one. Sean was like laying in bed. Um, <laughs> because he woke me up at 630 <laughs> in the morning. I, Wait, what? well, we had, uh, that's irregardless, irregardless. I guess, what does that feel like, you know, not only to 
hit that initial goal of 10K, <laughs> but to see it continuing to grow and like as that Kickstarter, you know, continues to grow and grow, um, how does that change the sort of future or maybe what does a path look like that this project could like flourish in with more support behind it? I th- Well, one thing that we, I would like absolutely love to do, I think we talked about it, but um, we have a few ideas for, you know, maybe a few explorations later down the line for stuff in the same world. Hmm. I, hmm. I, I mean, I'm like a pretentious guy, so I'm like, I don't get why people do sequels all the time. But now actually getting into the grit and having like an established world, it's like I totally see why people do sequels all the time. Are you kidding me? It's so much fun. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you create a world like yeah, as your very own. It becomes very personal, and it, you can't help but want to explore more of that. Yeah, it's like the more we play with it, the more you know stuff we kind of think of like avenues we want to explore and the characters. It's a whole lot of fun, um, and also I guess you know uh, we would really like to take like localization and kind of you know. Do some faithful localization to, like, other languages, because yeah. actually the international... I mean, we got some pretty nice international support so far, um, especially in, like, Arabic-speaking countries. I, It's kind of interesting. I, I know, like, localization can be tough. I think... Um, uh, what was it? The Kid Icarus? I think the Kid Icarus sequel um, back in, like, 2013... They had a really good English localization, and it, like, took off in America because they actually had a faithful and fun, tr- not just translation, but, like, localization. They actually played a lot with the English language and did, like, they, it was yeah. totally blew it out of the water, just like a typical um, translation. And if we were to take anything like that, like, worldwide, I would hope that we would keep the same level of quality. Because there's so much you have to translate, like, <laughs> idioms and, like, character quirks and, like, what the heck. I, I don't think, like, a like a purely textual translation would really do anything justice, but... No, yeah, there'd be so much lost. <laughs> yeah, so much would be lost, I think, just um, in translation if you just slapped it back. You know, Not a, even a little a bit. straight up one, but, yeah, it's a, especially when you have something like your game that is so personal and has this you know almost its own language in a way it would uh be be <laughs> twice as weird perhaps i suppose for some people. Yeah, that would be a <laughs> that would be a nightmare that would be a nightmare and yeah, now thinking about it like thinking about it like uh it'd be really hard because a lot of americans have a hard time understanding like the appalachian tennessee yeah. style <laughs> and putting that into <laughs> other languages would be such a pain now i think about it but, ourselves. but that's also like a really funny thing because like it's like We've had a ton of people, like, especially in Arabic, I think because, like, a popular YouTuber there covered it. Yeah. Like, in an, mm. But, like, I don't know. It It's weird to see, like, the appeal of, like, two, like, lanky white dudes in, like, the Appalachian Mountains somehow <laughs> have, like, a, I don't know, any sort of, I, I guess, cross-culture appeal. But I guess that's, I, I heard, like, a creative saying once, I can't quote it to whoever said it, but... It was like whatever is the most personal is usually the most universal, mm. and yes. uh, it's totally true. Like the more specific you are with like a creative project, it's, it's like a weird paradox, but it's counterintuitive. But it's totally true. If you were to write like a normal high school story, like if it was generic, I mean, 
it might be fun to play with the convention, but if you write about your personal high school story, you probably get a few more people on board with you know what you're trying to say. Yeah. So that's why Twilight was popular, right? This is it. <laughs> well, Twilight, Twilight actually was uh, was. Tw- Wait, no, no, I'm thinking about Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. was Twilight fanfiction <laughs> originally. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think by telling it personally, I think it's what it takes. So it focuses it on that and naturally sort of gives out that sort of relatable story because you're not focusing on trying to make it relatable for people. You just have that as a, you know, a side effect, effectively. And so, yeah, it is always just seems to pay to just write what you know, as they say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that oh, side effect. I don't even want to talk about the side effects. I think half <laughs> of like the the weird atmosphere and humor and dialogue, I think, is just because that's how we are. Yeah. Um, Sean can definitely mm. speak to... Yeah, no, I think Sean can definitely <laughs> speak to how this came out in like the editing booth. Yeah, the voice booth. I don't even know. Like, half of the lines in, like... More than half. At least dude. the hiking segment. Sean like took the script and then just significantly more than half. I just ignored it pretty much. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like trying to I tried to like guide him back, but there's no stopping Sean Michael Malone. <laughs> yeah, that's why like I'm never gonna be able to get any kind of role in any professional video gamers because the director is just gonna hate me. He's like, just read the script. Come on, just read it. He's gotten better about them. (laughs) Yeah, you do the first few takes for them, and then you do a couple for yourself once they get comfortable. Oh, yeah. I think... (laughs) Oh, man, we have, like... uh, We we record everything in... Sean and I are brothers, so we record everything in our dad's recording studio, because our dad is also a musician. Hmm. Um, And when we go to do voice acting sessions, literally... Sometimes we have a paper copy of the script. Sometimes we have a digital <laughs> copy of the script. Nine times out of ten, Sean will say the line, and then he'll say something else, and then something else, and then something else, and then one of those three other things will be what gets used. I We've got at least like fifteen hours. Now, yeah. That like the recording time of Sean's versus mine is like like one third more, like double mine. Oh. I I think. <sighs> I don't even remember how much recording you we have. you and Sean. <laughs> oh, no, you. I don't want to talk. Last about I it. checked, after the, the last voice acting session, you and Sean both. Uh, so like ninety percent of that Sean, is outtakes. I think had like over thirteen <laughs> hours of recording. And you had like eight or nine, I think. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do that right now. What do you mean? Oh. I mean, it's gonna be great when the game's done. We go back and look at it, and like. 20 years like what on god's green earth were you doing no i'm gonna burn every single copy of that hard drive uh, my co-host knows i love him dearly but sometimes when i look at the episode <laughs> breakdown on who has spent the most time talking i'm just like oh man we he was talking for a good 15 minutes there and then i look at mine and i had like a two-minute comment right after that and then it was back to neil but we can definitely yeah, <laughs> relate to that i, as, I think uh, that, that's one of the things i have is just together. i'll I'll start off thinking, I've got two sentences to say, and then suddenly it just snowballs. And then before I know it, I've spent <laughs> half an hour, forgotten what the point was, and just got sort of rounded myself back again. But yeah, so a man after my own heart there, Sean, that's for sure, in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love that, you know, within that opening moment, you know, let me back up for a sec. A demo is very hard, I think, especially these days when people are so inundated with them. Um, just seemingly we see, get a new handful of them every day with intriguing-looking titles and you know as we've said the 
sort of relationship and the dialogue between the two of you is so strong right out of the gate. Um, and the ability to really craft that in the context of a demo that's only about, you know, half an hour long, but really, you know, establish those characters, their relationship and the humor, which, you know, is somebody that has some roots in Tennessee, but is, you know, from uh, New England and whatnot. But at the same time, Neil is over in the UK. Like the humor comes across in a way that is very relatable on some level to everybody. And at the core of that is, uh, you know, friendship. So I guess when you guys were originally envisioning the idea for this game, you know, was it, did it start with the concept of, you know, the horror supernatural stuff? Was it about two friends that just find themselves in this weird situation? What was kind of the genesis of 10 dead doves you want to okay. talk about should that should i Mark? tell the story or should i yeah okay i'll uh okay i guess we should clarify um first this was probably what was this Jill, uh january it was like january it was either january 2nd or 3rd 2021 so they had set up a minecraft server and they were playing uh re- what did you guys call it? I forgot. We called it Humble Abode. Humble Abode. Humble Abode. Humble Abode. <laughs> you had like a Minecraft realm set up, and I think this was on console, so I had to personally come over to your house with my Switch to play it. Yeah, it was on Xbox. Um, yeah, so if you can imagine like the days of a LAN party, this was like that on steroids, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, I think we're just playing it, and, I, and I, I'm... So scatterbrained of a personality, but I'm thinking like, hey, Sean, you know, be really funny. Um, I just had this idea for like a scene, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it to you. What if we make a video game? And so I pitched it to him, and I expected him to shut it down, but he was like, actually, that's not bad. Let's let we should make a video game. And I'm and I in my head, I know I've been in the game development pits. I'm like, okay, I'm not actually going to make a video game because I've been there, and I know that you. It's essentially a it's a it's a non-negotiable. This is not happening. It was just a fun idea, but then we went with that idea. Um, it's actually a scene in the game that I won't talk about because it's one of my favorite scenes. It's a pretty great scene, honestly. I can't say, but it's one of my favorites. Um, but that whole crux is we started game development because we were playing Minecraft and we we're like, we should make a video game. This sounds like fun. Which is like the last thing someone should do when they want to make a video game. <laughs> but I guess it's worked out so far. It's the age-old thing. is uh, We should start a band. We should write a book. We should do this. It's like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh. It, yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, sometimes that just happens to be a thing that happens. You know, just, if the right circumstances like that come across. And yeah, it, it can just come from these single little ideas. And uh, yeah, it, it's good to see that it, it did happen uh, for you in that regard. Yeah, I definitely think circumstances helped with it because we both like did YouTube for a yeah. long time, so we 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 had come out of like knowing the pain of failed projects and successful projects, and like I know Sean, you did a bunch of I don't know if you were still doing films or you, I mean you still are, right? Yeah, I'm still working on some animated films, but those were on the back burner. Yeah. So, um, and then I made like a 22 minute pilot when i was like 17 and i didn't know i had like add at the time so i was bashing my head against a <laughs> wall for like a whole year trying to figure out like and then i got it done and i'm like all right i'm never doing that again and then i immediately started doing it for me again. <laughs> um but we had definitely we definitely like honed enough at that point to know what not to do so we know not to 
go with a crazy scope or do like a crazy MMO. I still have to fight Daniel occasionally because he really wants to go big. <laughs> oh my goodness, we there was there was a time like in the first year year and a half of production. I kid you not, it was we three. Mo- well, it was mostly me, but we three arguing about one specific scene. Oh, you remember oh, that? John, you want to tell that story? I'll tell it. So, oh okay. my lord! So basically, in the demo, you go to the back of the gas station to go to the generator to turn the generator off and divert power. And we spent a good two hours arguing with Daniel <laughs> about the location of the generator. And I don't even remember yeah. how it started, but I just remember by by the end of it, just like basically lying down in my gaming chair upside down, just being like, "Shut up! I don't want to talk about this anymore." Okay, it was like it was like we we like I was like, okay, we got to put the generator behind the gas station. You can't put it behind the electric fence because how is he going to get to the generator? <laughs> and then just like that doesn't make any sense. Why would the why would the generator be behind the electric or why would it be behind the gas station if it's an electric fence for you know blocking the you know, block, block, keeping people out. And I'm like, well, what if it's keeping people in, you know? And yeah. it got to this point where, like, it's nice to have because we're very, at this point, detail-oriented. And I think that pays off in a certain aspect. Yeah. But it also is like a Sisyphus pushing a boulder up the hill, <laughs> you know? We we got to know when to yeah, say it. That and, and the, like, that was early on, like I said, in the very beginnings of production. So we've... I, I think I can collectively say that we three didn't really know what we were doing at that point. We were just we kind of there. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, you're not wrong, but speak for yourself. <laughs> well, be that as it may, uh, like I said, we three didn't 100% know what we were doing. We were just kind of winging it and learning as we went. So I think the conclusion that we came to after that argument settled was it was a lack of uh, what's the word? Um, I guess being on the same page, being in the same boat, like with the same vision of the game. Because I was yeah, thinking we, of it. We like, had to crack that out real quick. Oh yes, we did. I was thinking. Let's see. I'm 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 an aspiring film composer, so I I think big, you know. And I hmm. was thinking like the very intro of the game would be something along the lines of, uh, like the the title sequence from Until Dawn which is huge and cinematic and glorious, and I love it. And then Sean and Mark are over here like, nah, nah. No, we got to make the game. Are you crazy? <laughs> we, would, we would still be on that opening sequence right now, two years later. Like, there's no way. Okay, the first programming project that I picked up as game dev, because I've only done one other thing, and that was like a slender ripoff, like creepypasta joke game. The first programming project that I had was reverse engineering how to make footstep sounds happen. And I kid you not, that was 12 hours straight of <laughs> me bashing my head into Unreal Engine. I remember this. And I'm not joking when I say 12 hours straight. Completely. That was like noon to midnight. <laughs> yeah. All for footsteps. All for footsteps. Hey, but now we have the most gracious footsteps. <laughs> sounds like you're stepping on a bag of chips every time you step on grass. <laughs> I do... Okay, don't quote me on this, but I do eventually want to add like a little bit of like a particle effect when you step. I don't know if that's too And now, much, sh- now that's... I still wanted to do that. Sean wants to end the project even more now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, well, I think that, you know, it's one thing, and I have very limited experience with script writing or anything along those lines, but... Um, I got really good advice one time from one of my buddies who is actually successful at that. And he said that, you know, you should write for 
what is, you know, the original idea, write it as big as you can if you, you want it to be that big, right? And then you pare down based on what kind of budget or limitations you're going to have. And more often than not, you know, if you lead with that idea that you started with and then, you know, you have to make certain concessions, you still might have a great idea that you're working from initially rather than writing with constraints in mind, if that makes any sense. You know, it's kind of the thing that, you know, you wanted to have this game open with this big score, big opening moment or whatnot. But I think that you guys do a really great job, again, of establishing what is special or what is unique about your game right out of the jump, right? And I think that you do a good job of introducing the surreal side of things and then have some of the humor bit and then have some of the mechanics, puzzle solving. And it does a great job just with that 30 minutes of establishing what the player has in store while not necessarily giving us any answers, um, which is something that in replaying it last night was like such a standout for me again. Well, thank you. Thank you, I, thank you. That is a pretty interesting um, idea. I actually kind of do the opposite. I can't speak for Daniel or Sean, but when I'm writing, and I, I, I'm like an indie guy, you know, I have a million constraints. When I'm writing, I try to write specifically to and through the constraints. Mm. Like, if we can't do something, mm. then we make that we make that a plus, not a negative. Um, I guess, and that really kind of... It kind of plays through, I guess, the whole flow of the game. Like, I, we don't have a big budget to make a million characters, so you really make those few characters that you get shine. And even, like, just creating the game itself, like, we we didn't want to, like, have the van doors open, so we just have a fade out from black, you know, and you hear car doors opening. It Simple solution, but it solves, like, what would be, like, two weeks worth of work. I don't know, Sean. I don't want to talk... Thinking about Sean's... Uh, like facial sheet. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. Sledged over. Oh, that was so funny. But I'm so. <laughs> we still got to redo those, man. Uh... <laughs> don't sound so excited. Yeah, but I think, <laughs> for, uh, for clarification, <laughs> I think that's kind of the for, appeal, uh... though. With like considering we're working around the constraints that we have, we don't really have the budget to bring in like professional voice actors or professional sound designers. So we're mostly using like stock sounds and ourselves. So I think it kind of, it like, it lended itself to be, like, a more personal story between these two characters, because that's all we got. So it kind of brought down the philosophy, like, in, like, Friday the 13th, for example, like, old slasher films, you have, like, this big cast of characters that eventually gets whittled down. You don't really care about them because they fit an archetype, and it's this whole big cast. Whereas with our game, it's pretty much the opposite. We have two characters, and if one of them dies, then it's like, oh... What else do you got? We don't have a jock. We don't have the pretty blonde. We don't have anything like that. Well, we do, but regardless. <laughs> are you are you calling Mark the pretty blonde or Sean the pretty blonde? Which one do we have? Anyway, um... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Ignore that question completely. <laughs> Struck it from the records. <laughs> no, I completely lost my train of thought. What, what was the question? <laughs> Just in terms of, like, yeah, your process, I suppose, with how you settled on, you know, the inevitable vision that you had for 10 dead doves despite some of those limitations like your approach to limitations oh okay so I, a good like thing that we kept in mind is we're you know we're i don't know if daniel's a zoomer but we're all we're zoomers we grew up in the good old uh disposable let's play horror era with like all these youtubers playing essentially like you would see developers make a game specifically for a YouTube audience to be discarded. And we actually loved those kind of games and those kinds of videos. 
but there was something to be desired. It's, it's like we kind of took that idea of like that era, but kind of went in the exact opposite. Like, I, I guess those kind of games in theory, but in execution, like completely yeah, different. Yeah, I was going to say, there, the sort of underlying genre and style you're going for, it, as you say, is very much reminiscent of that. And you go on to somewhere like Itchy and you do see just countless, countless games still trying to copy the exact same thing to the letter, you know, um, in all shapes, sizes. So it's very rare that you get someone look at it and go, you know what, maybe we should try and do something different with it. And I think it all comes down to that sort of personal touch you have. But um, I suppose the main thing you've got there is the Appalachian Mountains, you know, which, you know, did you look at that and think that was going to be a, a good sort of source of horror, considering, you know, it's a big area of wilderness and there are all these, you know, myths, legends and folklores about that in, in itself. And, you know, did that sort of come from personal experience of going up there and doing that? Did you, did you ever have a hike together up there yourselves? Um, not us together, but I'm an Eagle Scout and I used to do a ton of like hiking and outdoorsy stuff. And I know my nerd knowledge leaked through the game <laughs> in all sorts of aspects. You're like picking up garbage. And, <laughs> I was you know, going to say, like, that's such a about, Yeah, Mark's neurotic about, like, you know, being to the T about the personal rules and Sean's just winging it. Um, <laughs> Which is basically how it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I before we started development, I went up to, it's kind of in the same area, it's called Klingman's yeah. Dome. And it's this fascinating thing. You drive up the mountain and then you hike up the mountain and it's got this they've got this big concrete spire almost that you hike up that to the top of the mountain. And I don't actually know I think it's like in between like Tennessee and Virginia. It's overlooking a couple mm. different states, but it's a phenomenal thing. And that was just implanted in my mind. Um that, you know, it would be a mountainous kind of exploration. And obviously the best option is the Appalachian Mountains because it's chock full of so much character. Mm. I is it is it Foxfire? I think there's a book series that goes into all this in depth. I think it is Foxfire. There's a series of books called Foxfire, and they go into all the different like uh, legends of Appalachia, all the different like weird. I don't. My mom put me onto this. I gotta read it still. Don't don't quote me on this, but. If anybody's interested in the Appalachian Mountains, I would highly recommend you read the Foxfire books. Um, but even, like, the location itself, I saw a post, I think, like, six months ago, a year ago, like, talking about how old the mountains are themselves, and talking about, like, the, the Appalachian Mountains are, like, older than the ocean, or older than bones, which, you know, was a really fun if horrific <laughs> fridge horror concept that a mountain range could be older than bones in the ocean. Um, so there's definitely like this weird horror implanted in the atmosphere itself, just being out there. But I don't know. It's just a lot to explore. So I definitely want to do like, I want to do the Appalachian mountains justice. I don't want it to be set dressing. Yeah. You know, I think that you guys do a good job of having what, on the surface might seem like, oh, okay, there's something following our protagonist in the woods, and we know that there is. But 
more importantly, I think you do a good job of interlaying the more, you know, surreal cosmic horror aspect in between that. And it is this really nice contrast, I think, between something that feels somewhat familiar, but done well, but then contrasted against something that feels wholly unique and weird and scary at the same time. Um, you know, that was something also that I was taken with um, in replaying it the other day was the blending of humor and horror, which I think is probably the most difficult balance in media in general. I'm like, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty hard on a lot of like horror comedy movies because I always find that most of them do one better than the other to the degree that I'm kind of like, okay, well, maybe you should have just put all your eggs in one basket instead of trying to do two things simultaneously. Um, I'm curious, you know, how do you find that balance, right, of humor and horror um, and especially at establishing that and, again, such a finite chunk of time for that demo? Okay, so this is going to be a fun one. I, I know Sean, I know Sean feels probably the same way, but originally it wasn't actually meant to be a horror comedy. I think our personalities just leaked yeah. into it so much that by proxy it became one. And maybe that is why we're having, it's why we can kind of, you know, have an easier time with it because we're not actually writing it to be yeah. horror comedy. It's more of like a character driven, like circumstantial thing. Like, obviously, there are some funny jokes. I know Sean made some very interesting assets in the gas station that <laughs> kind of became, like, this commentary on, like, like the sex sells appeal of, like, the 2000s. Like, you'd see football commercials with cheerleaders in bikinis holding, you know, whoppers. It kind of became this funny thing. But, I don't know. Like, I think half of it, I genuinely couldn't tell you how it happened sure. originally. Um, well, I think now we know what we're doing, so we can lean, you know, we can lean towards our strengths. But a lot of it, I think, is in the character interaction. Maybe I could have worded that better. I wouldn't classify your guys' game as like a horror comedy. But I mean, I think that the humor of those characters spills into the other aspects of that world in a way that, you know, the game opens with, uh, you know, he's playing chess with a bird, right? Which immediately is just like this absurd moment that that's unfolding in this surreal world. And then it goes into, you know, more of the characters, but then it does pick up later and you have these more horror moments. But I think, you know, a lot of those little interactions early on of humor do a good job for the pacing uh, and furthermore fleshing out those characters, like picking up a pack of beef jerky. And he's like, ah, jerky, life's most expensive of vices, right? Like little moments like that, I think, do so much to establish characters and personality. And it does a good job of pacing to like getting to the scary part of the experience, right? Because Sometimes I find that these types of experiences that try to blend genres, they lean too heavily. And with this, it seems like you guys just found this nice ebb and flow. Um, even later at the end of the demo, right, when they jump the fence and he's like, oh, hand me that knife. And then he throws it and he like eats it over the wall, right? It's just <laughs> completely out there. It's just like, oh, sick. Okay. But like, again, it feels in line with them. So I never would classify this necessarily as just like an overt comedy, but it just has this kind of quirky sensibility to it um, that I found that, you know, it just seems to permeate throughout almost every aspect of the game. Yeah, I was going to say, um, it was only recently when me and you, Jay, we watched um, Phantasm 3. And that's a whole, that's a whole road trippy bit about it, like that. And suddenly I was trying to think what it reminded me of. And then it, it came back, it was back to the demo and to driving the car and the chat like that. It was just a very similar vibe. And, that's the vibe I get. It's offbeat. I think it's the best way to sort of describe it. And by being offbeat, you, you just inherently have 
a comedy to it that um, you know, can then also sort of flip right back into horror and weirdness. And I think that, for me, is always like the sweet spot for getting that right uh, when you are doing sort of horror-based stuff with humour in it, whether it's intentional or not. So yeah, I think that's yeah, that, that probably explains a lot of why that works for, for a lot of people, I think, because you know, a lot of people have that love for that kind of you know, experience in horror. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely like a fluidity to it that you have to be careful about. It's like a... Because you, you got to toe the line I, when you're doing that because if you're too... You, like, we don't want to be self-serious mm. even though originally we maybe were a little self-serious but it kind of became like a... I don't know. Like, we were almost self-serious but also our, like, irreverence just leaked through so it became this strange thing. I think one thing that really helps with maybe the offbeat is like when we're making stuff i i uh, i i know it holds true for me i don't know about sean and daniel they can speak on it but i want to be as specific as possible like when i when we're making a gas station we don't want to just make a gas station we want to make the local gas station that we've passed mm. by for 20 years that's weird and decrepit and run down when we're making like a lobby we don't want to make just a lobby we want to make like the local doctor's lobby that, you know, was a little weird and ethereal. Um, even like, even like item descriptions. I, I don't even know if most people know that there's a ton of item descriptions in the game that they can read. And I don't really mind that people don't know. It's my little secret, but I don't mind writing weird. I, I just don't want anything to be boring. I think if you can, maybe it's just a matter of we're passionate about it, but I just like pouring, you know, our heart and soul into every little yeah. weird thing and i think that probably shines through yeah i would just say it goes back to what you're saying earlier about keeping it you know contained small enough to work and you know one of the things that you get out of that is to pour as much of yourself into smaller areas you know and to give it the detail give it the personality and i think that's like you're saying that shows in places that you've designed there where you've got those little no bits of screed those texts and those sort of fun details that are very specifically your identity you know as a team so yeah it's um definitely works those are some of the aspects too that i think struck me the first time around when i was playing this right is that we've neil and i have played countless games that have a fixed perspective horror you know an ode to survival horror these different things and you know little details like that that you gave that much, you know, love to an item that at the end of the day might be insignificant in the long road, but at the same time, you know, it it strengthens the player's understanding of the people or just the world or just crafting the identity that you, of ten dead doves, right? And I think that little details like that at the end of the day are what make projects stick out, no matter the size, because um, it's I think for me that's something that I'm always looking for is that sure a lot of these types of experiences or horror games in general they start to hit across some of the same sort of notes and it's the originality that the developers and the creatives behind the game can give those things that are very sort of almost mundane at this point, but giving them personality and the qualities that uh, make them memorable. I think that's actually, um, that reminds me of one of the conversations that we had again, early on in production, as we were discussing what type of game we wanted to make. Like we, we already knew that it was going to be a horror game, Mm. Um, and I remember one meeting 
uh, I remembered a commentary that I read somewhere. I forget who or where. It's probably Reddit. But someone was commenting on <clears throat> uh, the Conjuring films. I don't know if y'all have seen those movies mm. or not, but oh yeah, they're friggin' fantastic. I love them. Um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> you you got to see them, dude. Like honestly, all of them. The entire Conjuring universe is fantastic. Anyway, um, this person was commenting that the reason or they believe that the reason why the Conjuring films were so scary to begin with is because <clears throat> you, the viewer, care so much about Ed and Lorraine Warren, right? Because, like, on Sean's note earlier of, you know, uh, slasher films where a bunch of teenagers go off into the woods and you don't really care about them, whereas with the Conjuring films, this person believed that you cared about them so much you want you want them to make it out of the situation alive and okay you know <clears throat> and i threw this idea out to sean and mark during that uh that discussion and essentially i think it sh- shall we say sort of shifted our perspective a little bit in that rather than just making a horror game for the sake of fear and horror you want to make a horror game that tells about the human experience because we all feel fear we all feel afraid of certain things well not no i don't feel fear i'm no of course not you're, you're, for the traffic, you're a game you know, developer a you don't psycho. feel fear yeah <laughs> but it, it you know it, it adds that that human element to it yeah you know because mm. uh i forget i forget what the what the game was called but we played a a demo of a game once it was mostly i think mark put it atmospheric and experience like what's the word is it experiential? Is that Are you even talking a about that Dora the Explorer Slender knockoff we played? No. <laughs> no, okay, not that one. That was going to be my guess it. based on the description. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't that one. It was like one of the other games on the like the PS1 demo disc oh, or yeah. something like that. I don't I don't remember. But it was mostly it was mostly an experience, most mostly atmospheric. You know, there was literally no story that I can recall. And I think, like I said, we shifted our perspective to make Ten Dead Doves a story game based around two people. Because if what the person on Reddit said is true, if you care about the people <laughs> in this experience, then it makes it much more meaningful to you as the player or the viewer or whatever. And it sticks with you more. Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally see the point in that because we've had this conversation on here so many times about the different kinds of horror there are. And one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show is that horror and talking about how scary something is really isn't worth it because, you know, that's what people may expect from like a horror game podcast is, Oh, what's the scary thing in this game? What's the scary thing? It's really the point. It's more about the detail of how you get to the feeling of it and how it works as a piece of art, I suppose is the best way to put it. But Mainly, yeah, it comes down to how did this affect me? And it doesn't have to be about scaring. It can unnerve you. It can rattle you. And, you know, for many horror fans, they they already have this sort of bit in their brain that says, well, I just watched someone's hand get broken in half and I could eat this sandwich just fine, you know. And and, even my son's got that at this point. So, yeah, you're either born with it or not, I suppose. But... um. Yeah, it, it, to me, it makes sense that you sort of strive to tell the best kind of story you can 
And then the horror in it comes naturally, as you say, because if you care, there's the horror. You you will then try and panic. You you will panic. You will worry. You will try your best to try and get the characters out of these situations. Or, yeah, whatever way you you want to sort of push it. And so, yeah, I think you've gone on a good route there in sort of thinking like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think one reason that horror works really well, at least in my experience, is... It's kind of the avenue that you don't really get to explore in a lot of other, a lot of other genres, um, and it's really a shame because I, I I will see people pearl clutch about horror a lot because I you know I live in the south you know how that goes, um, <laughs> but it's, it is a shame it is a real shame because really you get the depth of the human experience in that like I mean every come on let's be real everyone has a little bit of. You know things that keep them oh, up yeah. in the night. Absolutely, um, but it's more about the avenue of exploring. Like, yeah, I, I guess what Daniel put it. You know, the human experience. You get, you get. There's so much more freedom to to work with that, in a sense, because it's not just about like the purely utilitarian, like how scared am I per second? What's my heartbeat at? Mm-hmm. Um, but more like, uh, okay, well, you can explore like absolute terror and grief and you can have levity and you can i don't know you can be weird and you can be awkward it's just a really nice playground for i don't know the the un the often uh, oftentimes ignored parts of the yeah. human experience yeah because we, we've all got something to fear then down at the end of it all so yeah and no. it, it's got to be sort of experience but you can understand why people don't want to i suppose in that regard but uh, which is why you that's but that's the best thing about horror again is you can sort of spoon feed that to people without them realizing it you know and give them these little you know, you know dig at them with their own fears without them having a clue what you're doing which is delightful right. you know i think about the genre in general well when you put that extra investment into characters or protagonists right i think that it allows aspects of horror that you might experience like overt hor- moments of horror in it, whether it's a movie or a uh, game I think it lets those moments that might be overly reliant sometimes on tropes or whatnot, or even in some of these experiences, like you have a lot of, in terms of what we typically play on a uh, uh, horror bites from itchio and things like that. But like a lot of these types of games sometimes overly rely on gimmicks or tropes or these things that we encounter very frequently, but in an experience that puts us, you know, in the shoes almost of the player, but also, you know, getting to know who they are and giving them more weight than just, you know, character x y and z it's the type of thing that those moments that normally might be viewed as sort of generic or overplayed or whatever those pop a little bit more at least for me mm-hmm. right because i'm getting i'm i turned 31 this year i'm getting to the point where like i play a lot of horror games i don't necessarily say that a lot of them scare me but i enjoy a lot of them that have the focus that 10 dead doves does and that i'm going to establish these characters and i'm going to be more invested in them for whatever comes down the line. Um, and so that's the type of experiences that I'm looking at and uh, looking forward to. And I know that Neil is as well. Things that give those protagonists that some people maybe that are not as uh, in, involved in horror or just kind of like enjoy horror from sort of a surface level examination might be like, oh, you know, it's two guys that are getting killed in the woods. But I think very quickly, again, the sort of bond between these two people is so strong that it's kind of like, okay, you can get this investment right out of the gate, which is what you know people like Neil and I are looking for earlier rather than later, mm-hmm. right? You don't want them to sort of, you don't want a developer to sort of 
realize that, oh, we have to actually flesh these characters out and you've already played an hour, two hours, three hours down the road because sometimes that's too late uh, for some of these experiences that are very, very short. Um, so again, just like being able to nail that right out of the gate, um, I'm just going to, I promise I'll <laughs> stop reaching for my box of compliments every time <laughs> I speak, but it, it really is something that is why, you know, we cover a lot of games every month for Horror Bites. And, you know, that was something that I think stood out the most to us. Well, I, we really appreciate that. Yep. And uh, speaking on that point, that's actually one of my one of my favorite tropes is like a side character that's about to die, like in a TV show. And they realize, you know, too soon that the character's not built up. <laughs> so you have this entire episode focused yeah. on them and all their backstory. Only for them to immediately die. So you can kind of suss out when someone's going to die, when it's like, oh, okay, they're really focusing <laughs> on this guy. That means I'm not going to see much yeah, of them. The, the Walking Dead was uh, oh. famous for that, I think, with quite a few yeah. characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, family, my whole family is obsessed with The Walking Dead. I haven't actually... I, wa- I caught glimpses of it. but It's great. It was definitely a soap yeah. opera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. You know, We haven't necessarily spoken on um, direct inspirations uh, whether they're horror or otherwise, and that could be, you know, inspirations from games for how you guys settled upon, you know, the format of your game and the gameplay style of your game, or even just, you know, from a, a vibes perspective, you know, films that you guys drew from, perhaps, um, Daniel, you know, albums that you uh, went to for inspiration or things like that in terms oh, of just crafting goodness. the atmosphere or something along those lines. Oh, I got Daniel's it. music collection is stacked. Oh, my goodness. And I... I, I, I your shelf, you have like 30 trillion CDs. Oh, I don't know what's going dude, on. Dude, that's not even... That's just what I have right you, now. What I, I was going to say, <laughs> as a composer, it's probably an composer's composer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually what I do... Um, Sean and Mark probably know this, but uh, you two don't know this, I don't think. Usually what I do when I watch a film or a show or an anime or whatever, whatever I'm watching at that point, uh, I will go find the score for it on, say, YouTube, and I'll save it in a playlist and then later when i have enough money to you know purchase the cd i'll go buy the cd and delete the playlist off of youtube and when i say that my youtube playlists are extensive i am not kidding (laughs) (laughs) playlists on there that are like 3500 videos long oh my lord um but yeah on your note jay um specific i can't really say that i have specific albums or specific uh films or games like the score that i drew ideas from it's more with this game at least it's more shall we say the collective or my collective experience shall we say because i don't i don't necessarily have like a favorite composer or a favorite film score or anything along those lines i like pretty much everything. I'm not super duper picky when it comes to that, which is in my opinion the the better way to go cuz you you have you have more tools on your tool belt as, as especially as a composer, you can pull from different genres and different styles for whatever medium you're working in. I think that's in my opinion the best way to go about it. Absolutely. Um yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there there were there were I remember specific uh pieces that I I was thinking, okay, this sounds like John Williams. This sounds like, oh, let's see who. Uh, I can't remember what that guy's name is, but I would draw on like uh, cosmic horror mm-hmm. the, ideas. The guy that the guy that uh, the the score from uh, the Dora Slender game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Dude, I don't I don't even remember playing that game. That was like what, late twenty twenty one? I do. I don't. <laughs> it was fantastic. I don't remember. That was dude. one of my top ten horror experiences. I'm not. Gonna... I've slept since then, dude. <laughs> Neil, we got some homework. Yeah, yeah. We some experiences for ourselves. <laughs> Yo, this isn't on the next horror. <laughs> Honestly, but yeah, like I was saying, there's we we when we first started out um, talking about how like the score for the game was going to sound. We we three collectively started a YouTube playlist with different pieces from all over the place. Everything from like Joseph Bashara and uh, his score for the insidious films or um, uh, his score for the conjuring films. Or uh, for me, a big one was Benjamin Volfish's score for it 2017. Very good. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Holy mother. That, that score was fan dang tastic. Um, you can tell he's a composer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, for the for the score for this game, it's a it's a little bit of everything, in my honest opinion. It's it's like I said, everything from John Williams, Joseph Bashara, Ben Volfish, to everything else. I can't even think of every, anything. I'm looking at the playlist now. We got some. This is a wide variety. Okay, I'm seeing. Some of David Lynch's music, which is pretty good. I'm seeing Silver Mount Zion. We got Insidious. Got some Arrival soundtrack. Oh yeah. Over the Garden Wall. Didn't expect that one. Um, got some. Actually, I see a lot of even like royalty free. That's oh, I see. Oh, I see a track from Serial Experiments Lane. There's a whole lot of I stuff. haven't looked at that playlist. I kid you not. Godspeed, you black emperor. Ain't no way that we have Godspeed, you black emperor on the <laughs> ten dead doves music inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know one sound. Like one sound that I absolutely adored was the Outer Wilds DLC soundtrack that just <laughs> turns into this industrial music. Like blow out your eardrums. I was like, Daniel, we got to do something like this, please. I do not remember this. I'll have to go back and revisit that. <laughs> It's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff. Telling of a creative when they're drawing from inspiration that is outside of genre with which they're operating within, right? Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? In the past, you know, the most notable horror scores that I've heard in games or just in general, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's only drawing from one source of music and it's drawing from like a pool. You hear a twang that's from another genre or something like that or like just influenced by more than just exactly what you would maybe expect. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh yeah, 100%. That actually you know, like I like I said earlier, I believe that all media composers should have as many tools on their tool belt as humanly possible. So, I th- I think back to a quote that I read from John Williams actually when he was uh scoring Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh and it's been a minute since I've watch that movie or listen to the score. But I do remember that he was commenting on one of the opening pieces, which has this very shrill cluster of notes and it's just completely unnerving. And then underneath it, you have this big flowing, glorious romantic era style melody. And from, from my admittedly limited knowledge of music history, that's not something that composers of the past usually would do. 
because they, you know, there are different eras of music composition. And usually the composers in that era usually composed in that style, that idea. And this, this, it's this blending of genres, blending of styles that really makes something quite special. Going back to the John Williams example, you have something that is completely unnerving paired with something that is flowing and beautiful, yeah, you know? Which makes sense it's, for that film, you know? It's the, it's all about the, the awe and wonder and, and dread of the whole thing, you know, of alien life and the possibility of it. And so, yeah, when you think of it on that sort of fundamental level, it's like, it makes sense, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, on your point, Jay, uh, if you remember the piece of music that's playing in the gas station when you go in the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Mark came to me and he said, okay, uh, for the gas station, I want something like Muzak. I don't know if y'all know what Muzak yeah. is. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, good old. Um... Yep. Yep. So uh, did, a, did a little research, did some looking, and what came out was jazz. And that, honest to goodness, was my first time Expo- or uh, composing something in that genre, you know? Hmm. Um, and when would you expect a jazz piece in a horror game? <laughs> like, you know, sure. like, like I, I cannot, my, my knowledge of horror video games is limited, unfortunately, because I didn't play a lot growing up, but I can't think of any other horror game that has a jazz piece in the score. You know, yeah. so, but like, like, like I keep saying, have as many tools on your tool belt as humanly possible, because you never know when you're going to need them yeah. or when you're going to want to throw a little something, a little spice into whatever piece you're composing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's such a, a philosophy that the, um, the Beastie Boys brought up a lot, you know, where they, when they were doing samples and things like that, that they would just draw from so many different types of music to make what they wanted and just fuse it together into this whole new beast. You know, that's like the very yeah. literal version of doing that, having this sort of amalgamation of musical tastes. And yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at music and be positive about it, you know, because you can just, you know, pluck any any um, arrow from from your knock there and uh, put it in. Knock knock. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that <laughs> kind of carries through to not just music, yes. but in general, because we definitely have some bizarre influences. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's a great example of how you can apply a unique spin or make an environment that, on paper, it's like a gas station. It's like, okay, that sounds like any setting for any horror game or any movie that has ever been made. But again, this is where the differentiating qualities in terms of like, oh, we're going to either make these little funny interactions spread throughout the environment, or you're going to have a unique audio track that might contrast to the rest of the score that you hear in the game or an experience or something like that. Um, So I think that that's, yeah, you know, that philosophy of just having a toolbox with as many different types of tools as possible uh, is what helps a project, you know, have that originality in what, other, you know, perhaps other experiences um, don't value capitalizing on 
something that is commonplace, right? Um, but I guess uh, Mark and Sean, I would love to hear some of your guys' horror influence uh, in terms of games. You know, what were some of your main horror staples that you probably looked to for inspiration? Uh, when because uh, you know, admittedly, Ten Dead Doves has a fantastic weird streak running through it. Um, but I would love to hear just you know some of the influences that you guys had. Sean, do you wanna you wanna tackle this one? Because you're probably more of a horror games guy than I. Uh, let's see. There's a lot, actually, <laughs> which is kind of surprising because uh, the funny thing about our development is that I'm the guy who hates horror. I don't watch <laughs> horror films, Legit- horror games, we- kind of. We went to see no, um, actually- <laughs> the Slenderman movie back in 2017. Uh, Bad film. Sean and I and. <laughs> <laughs> We oh, too man. and our two that friendship came out unscathed. <laughs> pretty much, uh, we too and our. Luckily, like, I wasn't there, so it was just a uh, brother. No, no, this, this it was it was we two and our two sisters. Um, Sean apparently hates horror so much he would not shut up the entire movie. I, I'm a I'm a talker when I get oh, scared. That reminds me. <laughs> I was going to say oh. that's a defense mechanism if I've ever heard one. Yep. <laughs> Oh, that! Re- oh, that! Oh, that! Re- Sorry, this is off topic, but that reminds me. We have a segment in the game that we had to play test, and I could tell it was it was becoming effective because Sean would not shut up. On <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what segment you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I yeah, remember yeah, what yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So, like a human Geiger counter, you know, for scares. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so back in the day, I think it was 2013, 2014. I tried starting up like a horror let's play channel, mm. very much so inspired by the big wigs like Jacksepticeye, Markiplier, all that. But, you know, I was like 13 or 14, so clearly production wasn't, you know, good. It was just me with a microphone, Audacity, and Camtasia, I think it was what it was called. But I did a lot of horror games back then. I think the ones that really stood out a lot, obviously, were like Slenderman, Nox Timor, Pony Island, I'm not sure if that one's still known. There's a lot of them, but I actually, I have not played any of the games that we mainly drew inspiration from. Mark mentions, like, Firewatch, Resident Evil 2, Silent Hill. I haven't touched a single one of them. I just kind of looked into Let's Plays and went, okay, this is their visual style. How can I make that ours, you know? Yeah, Uh, That's an interesting way to come about it, yeah, as well. Having an outside influence, so to speak, uh, like yourself, where you aren't really drawing from, like, a love of the genre like that so you and just kind of looking at it i suppose analytically almost so yeah i like that as it kind of explains some of it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's going it's being drawn from any one place in particular and i suppose that combined with the sort of you know the very close uh personal feel about it just generally makes it feel like its own thing it also doesn't feel like a bad imitation, right? I think we've played lots and lots of yeah. games that feel like bad imitations of things that have worked in the past. And to hear that, I mean, that approach is very shocking. But I mean, at the same time, like having the wherewithal to implement that research in a way that you would assume that you that all of you guys are like huge horror gamers. So that is something that is very eye opening, but at the same time, even more so impressive. Actually, can I be honest? I'm not actually a big horror guy either. I think Daniel's the only one. I'm a horror nut. I love my horror. (laughs) Maybe that's a good dynamic. Maybe it's a good dynamic. Yeah, it seems to work so far. So, you know, why not? (laughs) This game has a really terrific sort of weird streak that runs throughout the entirety of it. Um, Can we expect things to get even weirder and wilder in the uh, full release? Oh, 
I I think I think it's safe to say like there is there actually is like a gameplay segment like in the demo that we it's gonna be there that wasn't in the demo like after they hop the fence yeah that like little whites that white Mm. bit that was like one second or something that's actually a whole other gameplay segment in and of itself but. Um, yeah, we are, I am, I am, He wants to tell you about it so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's tragic. It's kind of funny, though, Um, because as we're developing the game, I'm keep, like, I'm mainly focused on trying to find ways to make it more weird. hmm. Because every time I look at it, I'm like, we're not doing enough. We need to do more. (laughs) He's said this so many times. (laughs) Worst to live by, I find. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I would have to imagine it's got to be so painful to want to so eagerly talk about more of something that you just can't quite um, yet. But, Neil, unless uh, you had anything else to add, um, I think we're going to wrap up uh, this edition of Horror Bites. Yeah, I think we've we've covered everything quite nicely. And more, I'd say. Yeah, we definitely got some fantastic insight into 10 Dead Doves that we didn't have before. But, uh, fellas, thank you so much for your time. And before I let you go, I would love uh, for you guys to, you know, plug 10 Dead Doves. Where can people find you all on Kickstarter, social media, what have you? Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yep. 10 Dead Doves can be found on Kickstarter.com. The campaign continues for, I think, 20 more days. So if you would like to support us and check out the new trailer, that can be done. We also have a Twitter, 10 Dead Doves, at 10 Dead Doves. Um, I think we also have a website if you want to play the demo. It's like 30 minutes. You can do that on Steam or HIO. I'm pulling out the YouTuber voice here. <laughs> um, a true professional. Uh, yeah, we released a new trailer. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, it's quite quirky. We actually spent some time on that. It was a fun development process. Like two but... months? Two months. No, no, that's the campaign in general. (laughs) I'm curious, actually, before I let you go, how long does it take to throw together a trailer such as the most recent one that you guys um, released? So that trailer, that was similar to our teaser where we had a lot of it pre-production, like in pre-production, but we had to make quite a bit of the specific bits that we wanted in the trailer. Um, So that, I mean, that was... uh, we probably spent a good. What was it? Two weeks? Uh, I thought it was more like five. Because Mark, you made Maybe. the you made the initial block out, and then you showed it to me oh, and Sean. I sketched together the most late, <laughs> which is then, still really funny to watch to this day. Yeah, because then you showed that to us, and then we gave you notes on it, and then back and forth and back and forth. It was a fun process. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a Kickstarter going. I think it's till May eighteenth. Yep. I think that's 30 days. Um, we have a few stretch goals right now. We're, I think 15,000 stretch goal is we're expanding the uh, scam water mm. park that uh, mm. they went to the city council. And obviously it's the biggest water park in the world, according to their you know, documents. So obviously the city should give them hundreds of thousands of dollars and funnel that to them. And they definitely <laughs> will pay that back. And will not be a, a you know, a subject of defunct land or something. <laughs> Spooky but, action park. Yeah, Spooky Action Park, something like that. It's really fun, um, and we we have a ton of weird stretch goals. Well, it's it's fun. It's fun. If you want, there are, there is a lunch discount as well. You know, quite quirky. 
Well, terrific. And thanks again, guys. This was a pleasure getting to pick your brains on a uh, horror bite that Neil and I enjoyed very much. Sure. Pleasure to be Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.